Alright, folks, this is Rabble Rousing, Rich Bergeron. And Psychic Tom with his crystal ball. And we got a great show tonight. We got Kevin McDonald, referee of a couple of fights on Sunday night on the UFC card. Uh, fortunately, we don't get to really ask him much about him, but uh, we're going to go over his career, talk about uh, some some major memories of his uh, sport, big fights that, that he can talk about <laughs> or wants to talk about. And uh, we're going to uh, just pick his brain about uh, what he thinks about the UFC uh, and um, the referee situation and all that. Rules. All that big deal stuff. And uh, we've got plenty to talk about as far as the UFC in general. we got boxing to talk about. Uh, for once, the heavyweight division is back on the map. People are talking about it. There's uh, Mike Tyson characters all over the place. Uh, speaking of Tyson, Tyson Fury uh, made an appearance in the ring after the Deontay Wilder fight. And uh, it's already going viral. So lots of stuff to talk about. Huge uh, upset, uh, maybe you might call it, in the uh, UFC over the weekend in, in Boston on Sunday. Uh, Dominic Cruz uh, getting the getting the title belt in his first comeback fight in a long time. Uh, has has had, uh, I think they said, uh, 60 seconds of combat uh, before this in the last four years. Something like that. It's crazy. But um, what a... What a story of redemption, too. I mean, you were telling me more than I knew, Tom, about uh, Dominic's fall from grace, you might say, <laughs> due to the injuries, uh, all the way to losing his girlfriend. Yeah, it, 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 it was definitely a rough time for him, and um, got to give him a lot of credit for his confidence and his, uh, his mindset, because uh, what struck out, you know, what really stood out for me was when he said, when the rest is all in your mind. Right. And it's easy to say that. It's really easy to feel from a distance. But he got in and showed. He he really uh, just seemed to have that. I mean, it was a close fight, for sure. It was a close fight, but he just seemed to be able to dig down. And even in the fifth round, when Dillashoff was coming on, I thought Dillashoff won the fifth round. But Dominic made it competitive and uh, maintained the, uh, the lead that he had. So it's a great performance. Yeah, I thought it was pretty funny, too, when they had him up in the booth, and he was like, I feel like I'm working. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about his own highlights uh, for once, and uh, just just having a ball with it. Um, he didn't look too uh, worn out, either. I mean, I think he, the worst injury he had was his foot, and he said he came in with that. Um, so, uh, that's another thing I wanted to kind of discuss a little bit of, too. How many fighters go into these fights with these type of injuries and just risk doing it worse? And you know, obviously, a guy like him does not want to pull out of the fight due to an injury. But oh, okay, exactly. And it's just such a tough judgment call. It's almost a known situation. Like I, I've often thought that if you go in there at one hundred percent, you just haven't trained. <laughs> like you should have. Yeah, that's but true. But if you go on 50%, you've left too much in the chin, maybe. Yeah. I had to come up with percentages, maybe. But yeah, 80%, 90% maybe would be fine. But, you know, when some guys are so beat up. But, uh, again, what do you do? You don't fight. You don't get paid. Well, you know what and they say the about statistics. you pulling out of again and again and again, well, hey, there's a lot of people right behind you hoping yeah. to get to where you're at. Well, he did pretty well for having a damaged foot. Uh, I got a real kick. I mean, shouldn't be using that pun, but I got a real yeah, kick I out, of, pun intended. <laughs> out of uh, the way they uh, 
it had uh, Lorenzo come in the ring, and they, they showed the picture. The, uh, the camera was on uh, Cruz right after the fight ended, and his leg was twitching, like shaking uncontrollably. Uh, and, and Lorenzo Fatita had like a hand on his shoulder. And Dana White was like off to the side, and they're both looking at his leg like, "Oh my God, not again!" <laughs> Are you sure you're all right? They're asking him. <laughs> well, he 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 just uh, like he said in one of his uh, post fight interviews, there comes a time when you just have to bite down on your mouthpiece and, and keep going. And uh, you know, we'd be talking about how how much heart he had if he lost the fight, but no, he won, and uh, he still didn't even want to make excuses, which I love. Second thing I like is that uh, he took a defensive master that I highlighted in my article, and and he taught him something. I think with just head movement, very subtle head movement, not Roy Jones Jr. stuff, nothing flashy, but just very subtle side to side head movement. Uh, he he did put his hands up blocking kicks, but he really didn't have to put his hands up in most cases to block punches. Uh, you know, and TJ was left with the only option to, to try to land counters. And every time he tried to you know, land to the head, it was a moving target. <laughs> uh, I think yeah. that shorter reach didn't and, help and, and that lateral movement, too, uh, is just so difficult, just so hard to counter because you're almost reduced to following him in a linear method. And, of course, that's just hopeless. You've got to try to lead. And it's so so much easier again, so much easier said than done. But uh, yeah, I pretty much thought TJ had the most perfect style in mixed martial arts till I saw this fight. And maybe it was just a bad night for him. Maybe he really does feel like he won the fight. But from what I watched, Dominic had the way better technique. Um, there was a couple rounds that were iffy, but uh, Dominic, I think, was able to establish the control of the fight and show everybody in the audience and the judges that uh, he did enough to win. So, Well, there was a lot of controversy on, on, you know, on some of the forums. Uh, a lot of people would have liked to see a, a finish, but, you know, again, hey, you know, hey. they never leave it in the hands of the judges, but uh, sometimes that's not a part of the equation. Um, and there was one train of thought that maybe he just wasn't quite aggressive enough to actually be awarded a close decision. Right. But the way I'm seeing it, it was, it was close. And it's not the kind of decision that you keep either guy up. But we'll see if the rematch, um, you kind of wonder what Dillashaw's going to be different. Right. Well, uh, if there's anything I did notice that can be different. Joe Rogan was right on the money when he said uh, TJ was fighting flat-footed in a lot of those uh, face-offs where they were going toe-to-toe throwing at each other. And that's a good point because remember what I called him in the def- defense article, an Irish step-dancing Mexican bullfighter. And uh, he was a little <laughs> bit more the, the bullfighter than he was the step-dancer. <laughs> last time. And, and like, uh, Donovan did bring out too that he still feels he's not at 100% due to the, all that inactivity, so he's, he just feels next time it'll be easier. But we know from history that sometimes the guy that comes up short can make more adjustments. So it ought to be an interesting rematch. Um, see if Dominic just has his number or if uh, they can come up with a better game plan. Because TJ seemed to have his emotions pretty well under control, but Cruz uh, was alluding to the fact that uh, Ludwig was pretty emotional about it. Right. And you don't know if that's spelled over because emotion can be okay if it's controlled, but sometimes if it gets out of control, just your game plan flies out the window. 
And then we have the former Bellator champ, Eddie Alvarez, uh, going up against Anthony Pettis. Uh, a uh, split decision win for Alvarez. Uh, he's had some ups and downs, so is Anthony Pettis. And uh, this was a very competitive, but uh, sometimes boring fight. There was a lot of grappling. There was a lot of against-the-cage stuff. Um, Anthony was doing a lot of takedown defense. Uh, Alvarez did uh, pretty much win the fight on takedowns, I thought. Uh, but uh, really didn't uh, look all that great after the fight uh, as far as the damage he took and also asking for a title shot, I think, is a little bit presumptuous after that kind of a performance. I mean, it was yeah, yeah, I, I, I would, I would agree with that. And uh, I'll show you this much, too. Uh, Boston's right up there with um, mean crowds. And I think maybe the beer was uh, starting to sit a little bit, but... <laughs> You know, it's a, it's a tough situation for the referee because if you break them too quick, you're open to charges that you're favoring one style over the other, which is really not the referee's prerogative. I mean, the referee's got to use judgment on that. And as long as as long as Alvarez was trying to get the takedown, it was really up to Anthony to get off that fence, which is not easy. But I I agree I agree with you. It was not the most. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't really scintillating. Would that be a word? <laughs> it was not. Yeah. Scintillating. How was that for the word of the day? They're not exactly a barn burner. Right. Uh, Eddie. Eddie. Uh, though I think he's a talented fighter. He's just. Uh, he's kind of. Um, he's kind of uh, maybe drunk off that win a little bit. Uh, thinking he's. Uh, Running out of time, too, in some so many ways. Uh, I thought uh, it was very interesting in the post-fight interview that uh, Ariel Helwani was bold enough to ask him if he had a plan for after-fighting, as if he was suggesting that he should retire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, I, didn't, I didn't quite understand that. That was... That was uh, Eddie did not like that yeah. one. He, he was, no, I don't have no plan B. <laughs> <laughs> of course, again, if you put yourself in any shoes, though, he is coming from an organization where he was used to having that belt around his waist. Right. So uh, I, I, I can kind of see where he's coming from. I mean, it doesn't hurt to ask. Right. It doesn't hurt to demand, and sometimes the squeaky wheel gets greased, but he's going to have to be taking a back seat for a while, and I think he's going to need at least one other good win, maybe two. And uh, Edmund Tiverdian uh, still has one winner under... <laughs> His tutelage, Travis Brown. What a, what a hideous fight. Yeah. <laughs> hideous in many ways. Uh, Fouls and uh, injuries. Ugh, what an ugly eye after that one. And um, one of the, one of my Twitter followers, or no, one of my Facebook buddies, uh, suggested that John Jones should fight Travis Brown. <laughs> <laughs> Just because of the eye. Well, picks. you know, you, you don't want to think that stuff was intentional. I mean, that's, that's, that's just too hard to even fathom that someone would be doing that intentionally. But, again, there's a, there's a lot of rumble afterwards that maybe this whole arrangement has to be looked at a little stricter. Right. Uh, as far as this whole open hand. And you can understand, too, that it's not boxing where you can just keep your fists closed all the time. And even there under the glove, you know, you like I said, you don't tighten it up until you're landing the punch. But here with the grappling aspect, it's hard to keep your fist closed. But this can't go on like this. I mean, you see what, what Mitchell looked like afterwards. I mean, that was something out of, uh, 
That's one of the worst ones since going back to Carmen Basilio in 1957 with <laughs> Billy Robinson. That was out of a science fiction horror movie. Yeah. Mitrione uh, was already in the news earlier in the week for uh, going to an interview barefoot. Something to do with the uh, Reebok deal. Couldn't wear his shoes on the air. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, well, I know this is, this is his last fight, so we'll see how this goes. I know he was really, uh, really hoping to put on a good performance, and I think he was. Uh, it's just so unfortunate that that happened. And there was also, as I was thinking, watching it, when the referee and the doctor were asking, can you see? Yeah. Well, had he said no, uh, and Kevin Ratner was observing everything, as Kevin Ratner said, that the fight would have been declared a no contest. <laughs> so, and so I would almost sense. think that Mitrione, maybe, uh, I, I mean, no one would have blamed him. Right. I mean, if it's, it was an old wrestling announcer years ago when I was a kid, Dick Lane, you know, I said, well, I don't care how tough you are, if you can't see, you can't wrestle. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, that's well. Ninety percent of the rules on cuts kind of, and all that stuff and injuries to the eye are, are whether you can see or not, or whether the blood is running in the eye. So uh, it makes a lot of sense. Well, that, it, yeah, the whole thing is, he did say he could continue, and I understand that mentality. I, I admire that and respect that. He's a warrior, but it just did not go. It just didn't work out. And and after two pokes, and then that right hand just uh, it had to be a nightmare. Yeah. And I guess was, uh, he really had some serious bone issues afterwards. So, uh, Travis and Matt uh, weren't really the best fight of the night, but, uh, you know, what do you expect? A couple sluggers with uh, very little defense. <laughs> um, Travis, did seem, Travis did seem in good condition, though. He seemed slimmed down. Yeah, he's a little different. He's got a different approach now. Uh, <clears throat> you know, obviously he learned a little bit from getting his ass kicked by Andre, his training partner. Former training partner, I guess, because he's not at Jackson's anymore. I don't think if he's working with Edmund, unless he's working with Edmund in addition to Jackson's, which I could can't really picture. But maybe, who knows? All I know is uh, that's how he met Ronda, right? <laughs> working with Edmund. Uh, anyway, uh, Francisco Trinaldo and Ross Pearson turned out to be a little war and a half, and uh, a unanimous decision for Trinaldo, but uh, kind of reminded me of uh, Chuck Liddell versus Wanderlei Silva with a little bit more boxing technique than brawling. <laughs> uh, it was kind of entertaining to me. I thought uh, Ross was kind of uh, underrated going into this fight. Uh, Trinaldo was kind of unknown, but uh, both of them established themselves pretty good as uh, you know guys are going to put on a show, which is what the OC really encourages more than anything. So... Win or lose, they're going to battle. And they did. <laughs> yeah. Good fight. Uh, Patrick Cote had a big win over Ben Saunders, big-time veteran, uh, in the second round. Uh, punches knocked out uh, Saunders. 114 into the round. Then we had uh, Ed Herman in the first fight of the night, uh, refereed, well, second fight of the night, actually refereed by Kevin McDonald, but first on the main card. Uh, Ed Herman knocked out Tim Boach with a knee. In the second round, 139 in. You know, he, he looked great, and I always thought, I mean, Ed Herman had been, been around since, uh, well, I guess he was on the Ultimate Fighter, if my memory shows me right, at the beginning of 2006. Right. Because I was out in Las Vegas uh, for the, the finals at the Hard Rock, and I got my, I tried to get tickets too late, so I wound up going to an outdoor boxing show that night at the, uh, um, 
what amazing how I can't even think of it. It doesn't matter. It was one of the outdoor places, and uh, Ed Herman was on the finals that night. And, uh, and it just seemed like he was always kind of his own worst enemy. But now I said he's went back to his roots, and uh, he looked great. Right. So, uh, uh, Caesar's Palace, that's where I was at that night. Not that it's relevant. <laughs> But, yeah, so he goes back quite a while, so I think this is, uh, he's going to make a good run at it. I mean, he seems like he's focused, and before, he just seemed like he couldn't get out of his own way. You know, yeah. he gets to a certain level, and then he sort of self-destruct. Right. But, see, so there he goes. I'm not going to go through the whole card, but I would like to mention that there were three naked, rear naked chokes in a row. Uh, fifth, sixth, and seventh fights. Paul Felder over Darren Crookshank with just a minute and four seconds left in the third round. Uh, then we had a couple first-rounders. Luke Sanders over Maximo Blanco. Uh, that choke came. That was impressive. That was very impressive. Yes. I like that one. That was uh, kind of out of nowhere. He was getting his butt kicked up <laughs> yeah. a little bit. And then just reversed it and uh, got in a good position. Yeah, and, and, and he took the fight on short notice and was fighting a weight division higher. Right. So that was uh, what, uh, what a debut. And then uh, Chris Wade, a real young natural, uh, got a win over Mady Baghdad by... Uh, Boy, did, did he look good. See? Mm. Uh, 30 seconds left in the first round there, so not wasting much time. Uh, that's about it, what we're going to talk about on that one. The uh, big UFC event uh, coming up next is uh, going to be in Newark, New Jersey. They go from uh, the state and town I grew up in, or city, you should say, Boston, uh, to the only place I've ever been to a UFC event, Newark, New Jersey, <laughs> the Prudential Center, the very same venue. Uh, and it's Anthony Johnson versus Ryan Bader. Uh, Johnson is 20-5, and five, Bader is 20-4, and four, so obviously good matchmaking on paper. Uh, and another uh, contender fight, I believe, uh, until we get uh, John Jones back in the title picture. Uh, I think this is going to be for the number one contender slot uh, for the title again. Uh, it will be a rematch for Johnson and a, a long-awaited opportunity for Bader if he wins. Well, yeah, that's, that's, that's going to be a fascinating clash of styles. I mean, Bader cannot make a mistake. And that's first round. I mean, he has to be very, very careful. It's great practice think, for Johnson. I think because the longer the long it rest. goes, I think the better for Bader. But lasting five minutes with Anthony Johnson in the first round is uh, far from a given. And uh, talk about good match on paper. Uh, sounds like it'll be better in reality. Ben Rothwell versus Josh Barnett is the co-main event here. And, I mean, <coughs> uh, actually, Josh Barnett was on a couple of the... few of the uh, top 100 fights uh, that I mentioned uh, for, till 2009 that uh, I've been watching. And uh, he was on the losing and the winning. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Ben Yeah, he, he goes way that. back, way back to the 90s. He was the baby-faced assassin back then. Yeah. And uh, I remember he got knocked out by Pedro uh, uh, Rizzo. And neither guy and then was going to win. And then uh, uh, he, moved, he went over to Pride and had a lot of success over in, uh, in Japan. And I, and I so, bet, uh, bet Tom, that you don't need your crystal ball to tell us that neither one of these guys is ever going to win a physique contest or body <laughs> contest. <laughs> well, you know, what's that old cliche? Ain't a body beautiful contest. Yes, <laughs> but they can fight. Uh, so I mean, if you didn't get the name performed, it doesn't matter what you look like. <laughs> 
Then we have uh, Yuri Alcantara, 32 and 6, versus uh, Jimmy Rivera, 18 and 1. Uh, Sage Northcott, who's just been unstoppable, 7 and 0, and uh, talk about natural ability. He's, uh, he's going to be facing a guy also undefeated at 11 and 0, Andrew Holbrook. I don't know much about him, but. Um, well, that should be exciting. Definitely a good uh, challenge for Sage. Tarek Safadine back on a card here. He's uh, 15 and 4, fighting Jake Ellenberger. Who uh, has had some really, really tough fights uh, in his return to the sport after some time off. He's uh, 30 and 10 now. Uh, Safadine comes in at uh, literally almost half the experience, less than half the experience. Uh, so we'll see how, how uh, talented he really is. <laughs> and uh, we'll see if Jake can still hang in this one. Uh, we also have uh, Carlos Diego Ferreira from the uh, Ultimate Fighter Brazil. He's at 11 and 2, fighting Olivier Aubin Mercier, who is 7 and 1. Kevin Casey, a guy from I think the same season of the Ultimate Fighter I wrote about for Ultimate MMA magazine. He is 9 and 3, fighting Rafael Natal, who's 20, 20 wins, six losses, and one draw. We got another guy from. Uh, that same season, Dustin Ortiz, 15 and 4, fighting Wilson Reyes, who is 19 and 6, and George Sullivan, 17 and 4, fighting Alexander Yakovlev, who is 22, 6 and 1. And looky here, we got Alex Caceres back in the mix. Bruce Leroy. Yeah, Bruce Leroy. <laughs> He's entertaining. 10 and 8, fighting Amasio Fullen, 10 and 5. Talk about up and down with Alex Caceres. He is, uh, he's been in some big fights, lost some, won some. Uh, never really made any kind of run for the title. And uh, he's he's a basically two wins short of being a 500 fighter, and he keeps getting UFC fights. <laughs> uh, for his personality more than his fighting style. Yeah, well, yeah, he's got that, and he's not unskilled. I mean, it's, to me, he seems like he's just a few pieces away so, um, we'll see how he does. And now he's fighting a guy in the fourth fight of the night who doesn't even have a picture on Sherdog. Maceo Fullen, who is 10 and 5. So maybe he, uh, he has a big chance here of uh, building a win streak up. Or starting one. We've got Levin Makashvili also on the card. He's the third fight of the night, 7 and 2, fighting Damon Jackson, 9 and 1. Felipe Oliveri. 14 and 4, fighting Tony Martin, 9 and 3. Randy Brown, 6 and 0, fighting Matt Dwyer, 8 and 3 in the first fight of the night. And uh, this is a week that actually I have been look, looking forward to talking about boxing for once. Uh, not that uh, I don't like talking about boxing, but there just hasn't been a whole lot of interesting stuff to talk about, <laughs> especially in the heavyweight division. Uh, a lot of disappointments this last year. Of course, a super fight that wasn't a super fight. But this weekend, I said to you guys, before the fight even came on, I'm going to watch this. <laughs> and I made sure to watch it, and boy, did I have no regrets. <laughs> uh, Artur, Artur Spilka uh, facing uh, Deontay Wilder on, on Deontay's network in his own backyard, pretty much, and uh, just... Started to really take a beating to him, uh, even though they kept saying it was close. I thought he was running away with the fight myself, but uh, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, literally out of nowhere, Spilka gets hit with a laser right hand that 
I I didn't even see. I had to wait for the replay. I did not see where I thought. I thought it was like some kind of elbow or something. <laughs> it was a foul. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and when someone drops on their back and then they give the uh, football referee sign that the kick is good, that's uh, never good. And he was out <laughs> never, 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 never good. Now, uh, off here, do you know what the odds were for that fight before? Because I didn't catch that. I don't, I don't know. But, because uh, I, would, I would have to think that the fight was a little more competitive than Wilder uh, was anticipating. <laughs> A little bit, a little bit. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Wilder basically took a lot of punishment in the early rounds and then just kind of started to figure out his range. And you could tell the, you know, the cumulative punishment was starting to catch up with Spilka because, you know, he could only keep up that pep for so long. And yeah. then, you know, a couple good punches to the head and he started to slow down. And then basically what happened was Giante put the left hand out there and missed but in missing, he kind of propped up Spilka's head just enough for that chin to be right in the perfect spot. And as I've talked about probably six or seven times at least, maybe a dozen times on the show, there was that Harvard study on that uh, reality series where they talked about hooking monkeys up to a helmet and they twisted their heads with a machine and they instantly got knocked out and that's exactly how this knockout happened he got hit in the chin his head twisted sideways his brain slapped against the side of his head and it was like a shutoff switch and i mean you might think that it's a bad idea to have your wife ringside for a boxing match because of shit like this and you know what happened to riddick bo's wife uh with the fan man incident and all that um but <laughs> yeah, i'll never forget that but in this case, I think Arthur Spilka's wife or fiance might have saved his life because that was the only thing that brought him out of the coma after the fight. Yeah. If you saw when they yeah, were I, filming it and in the I, corner. Yeah, I noticed the doctor was trying to wave her off. Yeah. She was pretty emotional. She comes over and well, starts it, talking it, to him, and his eye went right to her. Business that I think it takes, um, a special, uh, it takes a special woman and a special family to, to be able to handle the emotional roller coaster you're on. Right. Because she had to be excited early on in the fight, seeing that it was competitive. Right. Well, she wasn't as, as excited as Manny's mom with the uh, the cursory beads. <laughs> the, the, the curse beads instead of the rosary beads. She, she was cursing that, uh, what was it, Timothy Bradley in that one fight? They had footage of her. Anyway, uh, yeah, Spilka... Definitely uh, had a good showing. He looked great. Uh, you know, didn't didn't come in. Uh, actually, he came in heavier than Wilder. He came in at 233 and a, and a quarter, even though he didn't look it. Uh, Wilder came in at 228 and, and three quarters. But uh, Wilder improves to 35 and 0. Uh, you know, keeps his WBC World Heavyweight title, obviously. And Spilka uh, goes down in the ninth round after really. Probably being ahead on most of the scorecards, I would say, despite Wilder starting to catch up. <clears throat> Wilder just yeah, I, I hope I hope he's okay. I didn't hear anything about uh, how condition. long he was yeah. in the hospital. Have you heard any follow-up on that? I haven't uh, heard anything either, but uh, that was uh, one of those cases where I was just glad to see him wake up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because that, that's, that's never good when someone's down for more than a couple of minutes. That gets into that concern area right and i think it's, it's um, never a good sign i mean hopefully they're going to be up and 
at least wanting to sit up after about 10 or 15 seconds when they look up and see the lights and that, damn it, you know, and they, then they try to get up too quick. But that's okay. You figure the guy's going to be all right. But in this case, how long was he out? I mean, it had to be a two, three minutes. Yeah, yeah, I mean. Yeah, that, you never want to see that. Ouch. And, and, you know, also because we've had the situation at Madison Square Garden with uh, Magomedov. And, you know, we know what the worst case scenario is other than death is, you know, yeah. lifetime paralysis. And, uh, you know, living in hospice care at home for the rest of your life, barely able to speak or, you know, communicate at all. So, uh, Spilka, in many cases, probably lucky that he didn't uh, take a lot of punishment over the course of the fight and did uh, move around a lot before then, uh, and that it was just one major punch that did it, you know, rather than a cumulative amount over the rest of the fight. So in that, that way, maybe it saved him, but I don't know. I don't know what his condition is or whether he's improving or what it is, but I'll check that out after the fight, and maybe we'll talk about it next week. <laughs> maybe we'll have him on as a guest. No, I don't know if it'll be... Mm-hmm. Improved by then enough. But anyway, Charles Martin was in the co-main event against Vyacheslav Glaskov, and it was pretty much a co-no event because <laughs> Charles won by default. Glaskov fell down in the third round from a right knee injury, and it was over. And oh, that was, yeah, that was almost awful. I thought it uh, actually I tuned yeah, in yeah, right when it happened. Uh, I just was lucky enough to just turn on the broadcast. I think actually I turned it on in time to, for the fight to start, and then it went black for, for a few minutes because all the pop-ups and all that crap froze my computer. But when my computer unfroze, it was showing the Glasgow injury, and I'm like, oh. And then the, Charles was uh, classic in his post-fight interview when he said, oh, that's a freaking football injury. <laughs> yeah. It's not a yeah, Ugly. You, know, you hate to see a guy... Uh, lose the fight on anything but uh, you know the, the ring action you know, but what can you do uh, we also well, had, uh, you're going to have to uh, get the surgery and come back stronger also had Mike Lee stay undefeated at 177 and 3 quarters pounds against uh, Joe Gardner who came in at 178 he uh, TKO'd Joe came in at 11-8 and 1 it's kind of a tune up fight for Lee there's a big one. And then uh, also Masiej Sulecki at 161 there beat Derek Finley to stay undefeated at 21-0. Finley uh, falls to 22-17-1. That was a seventh round TKO. On that one. Let's see what else we got. That was the big card over the weekend. The big one coming up this weekend is uh, Guerrero versus Garcia. And this one makes a little sense for a lot of reasons. Um, obviously, it's been a long time coming because they've been at different weight classes. But um, the uh, the other interesting angle is they're both trained by their own fathers. So we'll see which dad is best and which son is best in the same fight. <laughs> well, I think this is Garcia's fight to lose. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, I mean, I, I think I mean uh, Robert's been around forever. Uh, he's a great warrior, brings a lot of entertainment, but I just think he's he's kind of going on the downside now. Right. Uh, let's see. And uh, uh, tomorrow night on Showtime, we got a big uh, heavyweight fight again. Uh, more people to get excited about in the heavyweight division. Jarrell Big Baby Miller 
He's 15-0-1 at heavyweight, fighting Donovan Dennis, who is 12-2. Uh, and two. and uh, Dennis was involved in a fight last year that he was winning hands down, and, and a little bald Russian dude, whose name escapes me, uh, just demolished him late in the fight. And uh, hopefully Dennis has learned a little bit from that one, because uh, this one's for a title, the vacant WBA NABA heavyweight title. So if he, he wants to win that one, he's going to have to fight a lot better than he did uh, in that, uh, I think it was one of the last ESPN fights last year, <coughs> before they became uh, PBC people. Uh, but uh, Rob Brandt is also on this card. He's undefeated at middleweight, 18-0, fighting to Carlo Perez, who's 15-3-1 for the vacant WBA NABA middleweight title. And then we've got Demon Brock at lightweight, 10-3, fighting Samuel Taya who's 7-1 for the WBC United States lightweight title. <coughs> and uh, while we're talking boxing, we obviously got to give a shout-out to uh, Tony. Tony Penical is uh, not on the broadcast tonight. Uh, unfortunately, he's, uh, he's had a tragedy in his family. Lost his 14-year-old uh, dog, Vinny. So we got to give a shout-out to Tony and his dog. Uh, it was a great dog. Obviously, he's... Uh, very well missed, both uh, in Tony's family and on Facebook, where uh, he became famous thanks to Tony. So, big shout out for that. Uh, little doggy in the sky out there, and uh, we hope. To yeah, that's uh, they're they're just a, a part of the family. Right. But I kind of get the feeling that Vinny had a good dog life. Oh hell yeah! <laughs> we, uh, I get the feeling that dog uh, that dog uh, won the. Uh, <laughs> Dog over lottery with Tony <laughs> and Tony's dad. Yeah, they as they say he had the dog's life, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no question. But, uh, yeah, we've got uh, plenty of video and photo evidence to prove it. So, good stuff. I think he, uh, I think he wore more costumes in his life than Elton John. <laughs> or what's the other guy who just died? Uh, oh. Not Billy Idol. Who's the other guy? He just died. Rockstar. You know this, Tom. He's more your generation than mine. Who just died? The Rockstar. It's not Billy Idol, but he's like the same type of singer. Why am I drawing a blank on this yeah. guy? What the fuck is his name? It was in the movie Labyrinth. What was that guy's name? Just died last uh, week. Which one now? The guy who just died last week. The big rock star. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, uh, David Bowie. David Bowie, yeah. Well, I don't know why I was thinking Billy Idol. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wore more costumes David, than David Bowie. Well, there's uh, a lot of them from that era. This is very ominous. Right. Yeah. Lifestyles of my generations are uh, catching up. <laughs> Not a good sign. Not a good sign. Well, I did notice that uh, they wouldn't say what kind of cancer he died of, but uh, they showed a cigarette in his hand on the CNN memorial picture. So, uh, 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 was uh, liver, liver cancer. Oh, it was liver cancer? Oh. Yeah. Maybe it was cigarettes and alcohol. Then I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's just cancer's cancer. You don't know what causes it, but. I had a lot of bad experiences with cigarettes and cancer, but not myself, just with my family members. 
So I'm very glad these days that I quit back in uh, 2008 and have not gone back. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of too many people that uh, don't want to. <laughs> and then you see these commercials about Chanex, and uh, it seems like the last 30 seconds of the commercial is about the side effects. Oh, yeah, they did a Saturday Night Live sketch on that, too. Sketch. Well, I mean, it's just... Side effects can include paralysis when you're trying to get to sleep, falling asleep the next day, yeah. death, nausea, vomiting, you know, that's the side effect. I mean, yeah, I think I'll try the gum. Wow. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> I'm good with that. Uh, also, over the weekend, we had David Hay back in the heavyweight picture. His first comeback fight, granted, uh, you know, wasn't against a guy who had uh, a ton of uh, world-class experience, but the guy was 30 and won with two draws, and uh, David Hay went out there and dispatched him mighty quickly uh, with a combination to the head in the first round, TKO, and uh, he's, he's back in the picture, of course. Uh, though it's obviously going to take him a little bit more than that to get a title shot again, but uh, obviously looking good. So uh, we'll have to keep an eye out for him. What he does. Also, I uh, did see a press release earlier this week on... Uh, Yuri Boy Campos gonna have his final fight coming up. Uh, it's on the blog. Whole story about that. Uh, fighting a guy uh, with a title, so he'll go out with a title if he wins. It's a minor title, but pretty good stuff. But also, we mentioned uh, Garcia versus Guerrero. Uh, we didn't really talk about it. Garcia uh, comes in undefeated. Guerrero comes in. Uh, with uh, obviously a couple tough fights over the last few years of his career, uh, namely Floyd Mayweather beat him up pretty good. Uh, also, um, Keith Thurman just had that battle with Keith Thurman. So, uh, Danny Garcia is a tough test for him, uh, but he says he's reinvented himself. This is kind of interesting. Uh, he says... Uh, We've been training hard. We derailed off the tracks a bit, but we went back to square one in camp, back to what got me here in the first place, and we put it back together. Uh, going up against an undefeated fighter adds motivation to my drive. I want to defeat the undefeated guy, especially with this opportunity. I want to raise everybody's eyebrows. We're not going to let the fans down. If the, the opponent doesn't come to fight, I will. That's just the way I am. Whenever somebody watches me, it's always exciting. Uh, as far as Danny Garcia goes, he says, uh, this is just another fight. Uh... He says, I've had 31 professional fights. A lot of them have been big fights. This is another fight to me. This is nothing. There is nothing you can say that gets to me. I feel like I represent all the Latino people, not just Puerto Rican Americans or Mexican Americans. I'm excited to go out there and show everybody a great fight. And uh, this is my favorite. Well, I, I think Garcia will come to fight. Uh, and I think Guerrero is really, he's, he's, a loss here, I think, will really cement him in the gatekeeper status. Yeah. But a win, uh, he may have one more run left in him. But I, I still think it's Garcia's fight to lose. And we've also got another great fight here. Uh, Dominic Brazil versus Amir Mansour. Uh, that's going to be a pretty interesting fight. And uh, <coughs> also uh, we've got, uh, let's see, who else? Sammy Vasquez versus Aaron Martinez. And that's a pretty interesting fight. Vasquez has some military experience, so uh, I like watching him. But um, a couple fights ago, he was on uh, PBC in his debut on PBC. And uh, nearly, you know, 
got in trouble because of holding one hand very low. And you could see, I almost used it uh, as a reference of bad defense, even though he won the fight. But uh, he had his hand so low that you could tell at the end of the fight what his main problem was because the whole side of his head was red. <laughs> Where he got popped all those times by this guy, which wasn't a really great boxer, but, you know, he was a good counterpuncher. So every time, I think it was the, the jab hand, he kept low. Every time he comes in with the jab, he got popped with a counter. So he would land two or three punches to the other guy's one, but the other guy's one was doing damage. <laughs> Uh, so hopefully he well that, that's that. that's absolutely a refrain keep your hands up exactly. there are very few Muhammad Ali's and Roy Jones Jr. that can break some basic laws and get away with it right. and we'll be uh, connecting with uh, Kevin McDonald any minute now so I think I tried to call you from the landline but apparently that was an epic failure yeah actually we had that same problem with Peter McNeely a few weeks ago <laughs> <laughs> yes. Hey, I'm gonna go ahead and say Peter McNeil and maybe it wasn't just a poem, but <laughs> No, he was tough to understand. I'll give him that. But uh yeah, he he's, he had an option on his phone, I guess, to to uh not accept calls from people with blocked numbers because so many people prank call him. So <laughs> I hope that's not the reason you have it. <laughs> One of the guys at my fire station used to work with him at the lumber yard and uh I guess when he last time when he got pinched or whatever he uh they said, hey, I've got to go to Peter's and clear all the contraband out. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he got all the fireworks, so he gave me, you know, a whole bunch of uh, fireworks. And it, not that I used them here in the great state of Massachusetts. But. Right. Well, tell us a little bit about how you got your start in refereeing and uh, how you got where you are today. Sure. I, uh, I, I, uh, when I was in the Naval Academy, uh, back in like, uh, 88 or, what was that? Like 92 to 95, uh, my brother had recorded, uh, UFC 1 and shipped it down to me. Um, we weren't allowed to have television, so I had to break into a company officer's room on a weekend, and, uh, we put it in, and, you know, I was hooked. Uh, I was doing judo and little tie boxing at the time. Um, got thrown out of the Naval Academy and uh, one of the finest admirals in the country and beat uh, up around for a while and ended up down in Houston, Texas a couple of years later. My family's in the funeral business. Uh, so I was down there getting my uh, mortuary science degree and I realized I was overweight so I decided I could get back in shape so I figured I'd look for some tie watching. I walked into a gymnastics school that had a program and it was Eve Edwards and Tim Moser. Nice. So uh, started training with them. They said, "Oh, maybe we should take a fight." And I said, "What do you mean?" And once I realized there were no uh, weapons, there was no jail time. Um, you'd be paid a few bucks. It was bad. You could just quit. Uh, I said, "Yeah, that's right." And uh, so I dropped about twenty-five pounds in like a month and a half and took my first fight. I got, uh, I was doing great. It was one of the old Texas slap fights. Uh, I was in a kid's guard, and um, I was kicking the bag out of him, but I was like, I was doing better on my feet. So I turned around to stand up, and he said, Why, thank you. Put me in a rear naked shark and put me unconscious. Oh. So uh, when the EMT was drumming too, <laughs> you know, Tim Marvel was like, uh, 
those guys have one of three reactions. Either never again or get me another one. And I said, well, I can't go out like that. Get me another one. So I was fighting for a while. And then, uh, you know, one time, guy didn't show. Um, and promoter was like, hey, can you referee it? And I was like, yeah, sure. And uh, you know, went all right. There was no drama. Back then, the rules were like, if he taps, stop it. Other than that, just don't let him die. And uh, so things went all right. And then I ended up moving back to Boston. Um, and when I got back to Boston, um, I did a couple of, you know, weird slap fights and grappling things and all that. Um, and I started helping Bruce Marshall, who at the time, he was really in Bruce Marshall's combat zone and, and Kip Collar's at that time, uh, mass destruction, right after they finished the Rhode Island Valley Kudos. Yep, been to and, a couple uh, of his events. I was helping Bruce, and, and there were some cards with Bruce where I was the matchmaker and the announcer and the referee and the judge, judges on the same card. So I would match the fights, and then I would referee them, and I would announce <laughs> that they would come in, and then at the end of the bout, I would <laughs> take the microphone and decide who won and raise the individual's hand. Wow, the one man uh, band. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was. Uh, you know, but, but back then it was, it was awesome, and yeah. uh, so that's kind of how I got into wrestling. And I met my wife, and you know, as, as we got together and stuff like that, you know, she was one of those like, "Hey, my mom was taking fights, you know, the night out and that kind of stuff." And so I. Um, so I saw that I was uh, wrapping, but at that point we were moving away. Uh, right after we got married, she took a position as a travel nurse. So we moved out to Seattle, and I was training with Matt Hume and uh, Ivan Salveri and Aaron Riley and all those guys. And then uh, we moved down to California for a while. Uh, that was the first time I met her, you know, back before her dean was refereeing or anything. And, uh, and then I ended up... Uh, in Florida, working for Disney, and I was training with uh, Ben Saunders and um, Dean Thomas and, and the Orlando crew, and then I came back to Massachusetts, and everybody was like, oh, it's legal now in Mass, but it's awful, there's all these kickboxing and boxing guys, and guys are getting their arms cranked, and you need, to, uh, you need to put your papers in. So I put my papers in, my application in, and the first event, they said, you're going to show up at Club Lido, which I was used to from all the fights before. So Club Lido with dress pants, a white button-down shirt, and a bow tie. <laughs> you, know, said, you know, that was the first moment where I was like, oh, shit, I'm selling out. <laughs> I showed up, and they were like, well, you're not getting paid because we're just, we're just watching you. And about the third fight of the night, they were like, well, go ahead and get in there. And I did. It was almost like at that point, they, they were kind of like, I right, go ahead and stand for the next one, and the next one. <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, so, so then everything was, everything was cool. I worked, you know, from the state of Mass for, oh, probably not even a year. And at that point, um, one of the legal minds with the uh, Mass Commission realized that there's nothing legal about taking kickboxing licenses and crossing them out with Sharpie and writing mixed martial arts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So they put a three-month moratorium on the sport, 
And after three months, it was clear that nothing quick was going to happen. So everybody kind of looked both ways and said, well, it's not sanctioned, but it's not illegal. <laughs> I remember that. So, <laughs> I remember that. So I said, you know what? It's good. <laughs> so it's cool. And then all of a sudden, I mean, there was a heyday, you know, between like, uh, you know, 2005 and 2007, where, uh, you know, Massachusetts, between Massachusetts and New Hampshire, I mean, we had folks going, you know, almost every single weekend. Right. And during that time, I was kind of had a call when I was like commissioned in a box. <laughs> so I had, you know, air horns and score cards and stopwatches and whistles, and, <laughs> and I just, you know, called the people I knew that knew the sport, and, uh, you know, things were great. And, uh, you know, that's sort of how it all came about. Now, during that time, I never chased the UFC. I never chased any of the big stuff. Because, honestly, I was working quite a bit. And I never had to go more than two hours from my house in Watertown. Right. And I had, um, and, you know, staying busy, getting things done. And I always said, well, we'll come at some point. And that'll charge, you know, the, the going rate as opposed to what the, uh, government says the rate is, which is what we have now. That's how we get in. Awesome. Yeah, I definitely saw you down there at some point. I don't know if I ever shook your hand or talked to you, but probably at some point uh, down there in Plymouth when you were refereeing some fights there at uh, Memorial Hall, Full Force and <coughs> Mass Destruction. Oh, yeah, Full Force right like to Westport with like the with the track marks. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> you know, you couldn't have any fighters that were over six feet tall because the sprinkler hadn't hung down at like. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, it was some entertaining it was, there, it, it, was, it was much more, uh, you know, I, I half joke, but this stuff is still on the ground. There was a time when um, I had, I was, I did an article for the Phoenix back when I was still fighting, and then the photographer also moonlighted for the Herald, and she was like, hey, do you have anything coming up? And I said, yeah, I got an NHP fight down in, uh, down in New Orleans, and, uh, for the World Valley Tudor Federation, and, um, said, hey, can we, you know, can we shoot it? And said, yeah, that's cool, but, you know, my dad is funeral director in Watertown, and they thought this was this whole angle, and I was like, well, just don't mention that, because it's not good for the funeral business if, you know. The guy's son is, you know, fighting illegally for money in cages. <laughs> um, but they, they came down, and it, it was just one of those, a lot of folks got mad, because in the article I was quoted as saying, I hope this never gets legalized. Oh. Because right now, it's pure. Yeah. And the people that want to do it, you know, just like my dad would pay two, three hundred dollars to go somewhere to play golf for the weekend and stay in a hotel, like... I might have to pay $200 to get somewhere for the chance of making two or $300. But, you know, everybody was cool. Like, there were no MMA schools at that point. The guys weren't cutting weight. Like, fights were matched based on height <laughs> for the most part. You know, like, uh, yeah, you guys look liberal, right? Yeah. And there was just a real sort of camaraderie there that you don't see nowadays because now you have every you know, amateur with walk-out shirts. <laughs> yeah. You know, not, I'm not taking this fight. Like, what are you talking about, dude? It's a fight. 
Go do it. No discussion with your amateur. Who cares? You can barely get your, your, your butt kicked a whole bunch of times. I just remember yeah, okay. too. There were just so many little uh, little sponsors trying to trying to support it and get it going, and, and like yeah. a bunch of different little uh, t-shirt companies cropping up around that time, trying to get involved. Uh, saw a good thing, you know, trying to be the next yeah. tap out. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it was a nice you know, crazy I actually, little I actually met those dudes when uh, uh, when I was down in Houston. Um, it was kind of crazy because uh, Eve Edwards had gone up to uh, Utah to fight Fabio Iha for the Extreme Challenge, I think was the promotion, and Fabiano won, but Eve had tagged him up so good that Fabiano called him and was like, hey, dude, I got to fight in L.A., but, you know, I'm a little banged up, you know, do you want to take it? And he was like, yeah. So he goes out and fights for John Lobo, which was um, the first uh, LA Underground at the nightclub on like a Sunday afternoon. So he wins. I think that was the one where he beat Thomas Denny from the Shark Tank. And then, uh, you know, the you know, police are all looking at Shark Tank and stuff. And then Lobo calls uh, a little while later. And he's like, uh, basically has me and Eve on. At that point, we didn't have cell phones or anything. So we're on two different phone extensions in the same gym uh-huh. and he's like hey would you guys have a problem fighting each other and we kind of look at each other and we're like what the hell no if it's a free trip to Cali yeah he's like it's a four-man west coast nhb and he's like i'll put you on either side of the bracket and we're like, yeah that's cool and then it, it didn't work out on either side but um you know he ended up flying us out to Huntington beach and, uh, you know, Sunday afternoon fight, I was fighting this game at the time. We weren't going to really be into that or anything. Like, there were a few message boards that you couldn't put video or any of that. Right. So I knew I was, I knew I was fighting Paul Harrell's guys, who, uh, one of his guys, who uh, Bobby got brought. And all I knew was he was a wrestler. And, uh, you know, so we get there and, you know, it's all these just nasty, gnarly looking dudes in like a 12 foot box. And, you know, and, you know, I'm in, like, boat shoes and <laughs> khaki shorts and a polo shirt, like, hey, I'm here, right, you know? And, uh, so... Camouflage, right? Since I didn't, <laughs> since I didn't know anything about Bobby, for the last three months, he'd been training boxing. So, <laughs> as soon as we got begins, he lights me up. And I go down, and, you know, what was that? Hey, hey, you okay? And I'm like, yeah, why? And he looks at the towel, and it's, like, covered in blood. And uh, I was like, oh, and um, so I ended up, you know, we trained a little bit, and then I, and I think Bobby down, I don't know whether he, he blew his knee or a quad or something, but it was the first fight I had with elbows. So I get to mount, and I'm about to blast him with an elbow to the head, and he's like, no, oh, that's his And I don't have that killer instinct, you know. I'm like, what's it? Are you okay? And, <laughs> <laughs> and he stopped. And, uh, but it was funny, because after that fight, uh, you know, a guy comes over to me and he's like, hey man, I thought you were a daughter and you short heart and yada yada. Um, you only have, uh, you know, a couple of shirts, but I'd love to give you one because that was a great performance. I said, cool. And mm-hmm. I'll just say I chose the least offensive of the three shirts that they had and that was a ballet judo guy urinating on a traditional jiu-jitsu guy. <laughs> And, and, and that was the <laughs> and but that was the first run of the tap box shirt, and I wish I still had the thing because oh, yeah, you know, classic. 
mean, I was before the makeup, before Lord Abner, it was, I think it was like Rob or you know, punk ass and, you know, his father. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of funny. We got uh, we got a lot in common. I, I one, I used to work at a cemetery in Quincy, Massachusetts, the cemetery department. So we have funeral connections. Oh, yeah, yeah. And number two, I got kicked out of the Air Force Academy. <laughs> so, yeah. Back oh, that's in, awesome. Uh, How long were you in there for? I was in for the full year. I went all the way through the freshman system, and then they kicked me out because I couldn't pass calculus the second time around. You know, it's funny because I got in, I was recruited for diving springboard and platform and there was so many of us through the year that failed yeah. um calc one and chem one <laughs> twice wow. we failed it twice there was like 32 of us that they had to set up a whole special thing so on our summer cruise we all had to go through just calc and chem again I, I passed chemistry the second time. <laughs> there so, you know, it's a whole bunch of you know, and, and you know, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I didn't get kicked out until uh, uh, two days before the ring dance. I had already oh, got the ring wow. uh, my junior year, and but thankfully it wasn't like my conduct was not good. Mm -hmm. um, I got a lot of weird too. stuff like rollerblading naked and. Cops and you know, all kinds of, but they, uh, it was great. And I thought I was a shoe in to get through that act board because I had walked in on my roommate who, I mean, it sounds callous to say, but I had walked in on my roommate and he had taken a Swiss Army knife and made a cut near his wrist. Now, when I see near his wrist, I mean up near the forearm. Right. But being someone who was academically on set their entire career at the academy, this was one of the first weekends I had off. And I'm all set to leave, and this roommate's, at that time, 16-year-old girlfriend had dumped him. Oh. <laughs> and, you know, he, he was, you know, you know, he just, I don't know, he loved her or whatever. <laughs> but I'm all set to leave, and as I go in the room, he just grab my stuff at the end, I see him sitting there crying. I'm like, I mean, it's very selfish to say that I'm like, you like, <laughs> my one weekend, and I was like, I'm going to get the chaplain, and I got the chaplain, and, and, you know, so then when I went in the act board in front of the animals, I was like, you know what, I'm going to eliminate suicide. I'm good this time. Nope. <laughs> yeah, it's unfortunate. They, they put so much emphasis on academics when, you know, most of the time what counts is that you have leadership qualities. <laughs> Well, I had, I had so many, you know, lieutenants and, and uh, lieutenant commanders, and they were all like, Mag, if you were here in the 80s or the 70s, you'd have been all set. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not a math and science guy. I suck at that. But I didn't go there, you know, I went there for the wrong reasons. But in hindsight, think about it. We, we could have been, you know, we could have been stuck with, you know, at my, at my time it was uh, six years after duty. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'd be. I'd they didn't be, hold me uh, any financial commitment or any time commitment. You know, they were, they were just like go. <laughs> like, All right. I would probably end up being a pilot too. You know, and uh, well, it's funny because I was the anchor man of a class for three semesters in a row because I was in the square root club because my chin was uh, I think it was like point eight, 
and I don't know if you guys had that there, there's a square root code. If the square root of your cumulative average was higher than your average, you were in that. So with a point eight, the square root is like a point nine. And um, so I was, but I had fantastic vision. Mm-hmm. So out of out of all these guys that you know are higher than me, I was like, oh, I like these flying jets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I had well, fun. Though. I mean, they they did a lot of stuff for us. They said it was two hundred fifty thousand dollar a year education, and it definitely seemed like it. Uh, you know, they took us uh, yeah, oh, to, yeah. to navigation classes. They took us to Barksdale Air Force Base, and we got to fly the B fifty two simulator and sit in a bombing compartment. And our our instructor was a bomber pilot, or was a bomber deer for uh, the B fifty two. So he taught us all about that plane. <coughs> we got to see oh, all the uh, the trainers it, 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 out there. I, I loved every minute that I was there. I mean, even as I was getting booted, like it was just because yeah. I don't, you know, I had no desire to do the standard college thing. Or yeah, like yeah. I, I loved chopping down the hallways and cutting my corners and chow calls and all that garbage. And, you know, because that to me is what builds camaraderie. Oh, it was really funny. Was um when I went to Norwich University after I got thrown out of the Air Force Academy. It's another military school in Vermont. I met a kid there who I had already gone through junior ROTC with in high school, and the funny thing was we were at Fort Devens out there in Mass on our encampment for the fall, and he's coming out there from Spalding High School, I think it was, or Bedford High School, I think it was. So anyway, he's at the mess hall, and you know, for whatever reason at the time, he was squaring his meals trying to be a jackass, you know, because we didn't make the kids do that back then. So then he gets to Norwich, and I just happened to look over one day, and there the same kid is, like, four years later, <laughs> squaring his meals <laughs> as a freshman, one year down from me. He came in a year later, and I'm like, oh, that's classic. <laughs> I gotta go over there and give him shit now. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, because I, I knew that Stan, you know, Brian Stan, you know, was an Annapolis grad, and our paths had never crossed, and then I think it was, like, last May or June... I was down in Brazil for UFC, and and I see Stan doing, uh, you know, pre-fighter interviews, like when I first got to the hotel, and I walked over behind him, you know, and I was like, I mean, you probably had all your your rates and stuff that you had to memorize, you know, I just just walked up behind him, you know, and I was like, I was like, how's the college, Shipman? (laughs) And he stops and, like, turns around, and I was like, seriously? You don't even remember it? Like man, every class past ninety six sucks. You went to go over there. Like oh man, what was going on? I was like nothing. I got thrown out. Yeah, it's an interesting yeah. experience. I actually, my arch rival was from the Naval Academy because they had the best boxing program when I went through in uh, '96 and '90. Uh, well, is that James Franco or Tyree? <laughs> Oh, was that was that actually it was ninety eight was the only year I did competitive boxing because at Norwich we just yeah. had a club team so I did an exchange program yeah. with Virginia yeah, Military Institute to, at, at Air Force. Did you guys have to box? Because uh, no, we came in the year after they got rid of the mandatory boxing, but I boxed in intramurals and then I joined the team. So. I was out there, and, and I, I didn't get to competitively box because of my academics weren't up to par, but um, the, the, yeah. the sports guy was the only guy that voted for me in the academic board because I was good enough at boxing. 
So right. I, I got to do an exchange program with Virginia Military Institute, and they had a National Collegiate Boxing Association team. So I boxed in the Nationals uh, only because the kid that kicked my ass in the Naval Academy scrimmage caught me when I was out of shape, you know, first week on the job, yeah. off, the, off the break, you know. So I go out there to the Naval Academy at his home base, and, and he just made me quit. First time I ever quit in a boxing match. And then we come really? across yeah. each other in the regionals, and I'm a whole new fighter. And he thinks I'm the same old guy. So he ended up fighting the same fight, and I fought a different fight and won. <laughs> so I went to the Nationals, got uh, one round through the Nationals, faced a kid named Michael Jordan in the semifinals, and he was like an inside fighter, you know, a lot of uh, uppercuts and short hooks and... I was a jabber, so lost that one on a decision, and he went on to the finals against the Air Force Academy guy. So it was kind of a good thing that I didn't have to face this guy because this kid that won a decision against me got knocked out in 30 seconds on ESPN by the Air Force <laughs> Academy guy. <laughs> so never was happier to lose a fight in my life <laughs> after that result. Yeah, it was a small world. Military yeah, schools. <clears throat> Uh, tell us a little bit about um, some of the big memories you've had over the years. Um, stuff like, you know, fighters trying to take you down or hit you. Uh, just big things that happen, big fights maybe you want to talk about. Uh, highlight real stuff for you. You know, I, I just I, I just love being, you know, uh, John McCarthy, you know, had a great thing on his podcast where, you know, people are like, oh, you know, why do you? Because, I mean, money sucks and, you know, it, you're kind of like a meter maid in the sense of you walk into a building and you know at some point there's going to be multiple people calling you an asshole and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, it, it's just like I, I hate judging, I hate any of that, but I, I love refereeing. I love being a part of, you know, just this whole giant circus. And I mean, I've been fortunate enough to do, you know, some crazy fights where. You're talking, you know, 60-pound weight difference back in the dark days. Um, I've also, I did the, I did the first pay-per-view uh, in Massachusetts, which was Moose um, and God of War with Pazanowski uh, fighting uh, Tim Sylvia. I was there, and yeah. I was at that one. Ringside. To me, that, that was the greatest show I've ever been at. It's one of my top view YouTube videos. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you have Polish rappers in capri pants. Yeah, that was great. With flames shooting up into the sky. It was a little like pride, actually. Theatrics. I mean, that that venue, they they ran out of booze <laughs> by the fourth fight. I remember seeing to Tim backstage too, lipping around like after that. Hooking up too. You know, Tommy Baker from Sucker Punch Athletics. Yeah. When he was, you know, making a shirt, I called him because. I knew the folks locally that were putting this on. You know, nationally, it was, you know, Mr. O. Does that guy even freaking exist? I don't yeah. know. It was, but, uh, Butterbean you know, was behind that. It, yeah. And uh, so so I got Sucker Punch in as a, uh, as a vendor. And I called Tom Dean and I'm like, dude, you're going to make a shit ton of uh, Polish shirts. <laughs> what are you talking about? And I'm like, when's the last time you saw a cool Polish, pro-Polish shirt? He's like, I never have. I said, exactly. I said, and the Polish American Club has already bought 4,200 tickets wow. for this show. And 
so he went and made them, and you know, ever since then, you know, he sold every single one of his shirts out that night, you know, so he made me like a nice embroidered polo, and he's like, thanks, that was the best night I ever had. Um, and then, uh, you know, there was a whole bunch of guys I knew, you know, that were coming up, like Eve Edwards felt my camera on that card, and, oh yeah, that was a good you know, fight. At, at, at that point, you know, all these guys I knew from out of state, like, hey, you know, hey, Mac, you're on the fire department, you know, can you get us an ID, because it was legal at that point, there was a kid down the road who he and his wife were a nurse, and he was like, oh, I got ID, you know, and it was hysterical because that Newsom card, the night before, after the weigh-ins, more than half the cars were sitting in this person's living room. Uh, getting it, IVs? It looked like, it looked like a chemo ward. Oh, no. Because, <laughs> you know, double bag eating pasta, you know, and like the guy's kids had watched the ultimate fighter and there was a bunch of guys, you know, from that too. And, you know, they, they were just like in heaven, like, you know, wow, what the hell? Yeah, those two guys are fighting each other tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I did you know, not so, know and that. And that was one of those, that was one of those things. You know, I'll I, never I forget thought, how Tim looked after that fight. I'll tell you that. I saw him. Uh, I walked backstage and I saw him with all the ice packs on, limping down the hallway. <laughs> with oh, yeah. A bad knee. I was like, oh wow. Yeah. I, that's that the first was, time that, I realized how tall he was. Like Ralph Johnson beat Forrest Pets. Yeah. You know, and 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 Ralph Johnson. You know, at that, I mean, that was years ago, and he couldn't go to the ground. And it was funny because I had, uh, I you know, I was there for the weigh in after the women they were doing the promos and they had a line of people and they'd call them in and they'd do the promos for the fight and Ralph Johnson's standing there and he's like pacing back and forth and all of a sudden he's like you know what man that's this I'm hungry I'm getting some food and he leaves <laughs> and he was the next one to shoot his video promo so all of a sudden the guy comes up and he's got a clipboard he's like uh, Johnson Ralph Ralph Johnson and I was like yeah, he left. And what do you mean he left? I was like, well, to quote him, he said, uh, F this, I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm out. <Yeah. laughs> it was a shock. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it yeah. was, uh, Butterbean was, uh, was a pretty good promoter, actually. I mean, I was lucky enough to, to get the word on that because I interviewed him before that. And, uh, and then I met him for the first time in person there right after the event, and then they had the little press conference afterwards, and he treated, oh, me, like, uh, he treated me like media yeah. royalty in the scrum. You know, I put my hand up, and he, he says my name and the venue and everything I'm from. And I'm like, all right. And, and then uh, Herb Dean, after that, saw me in the hallway and and he gave me his number wanted me to interview him like, really <laughs> so you're famous <laughs> and yeah. Uh, yeah he's he was like trying to get me to take his number down it was kind of funny and then i called him and he never answered me back so i was like what the hell <laughs> give me a break the first time i was uh, first time in that i was at uh ferguson school and uh just north of la uh robert ferguson the prince of Redwood. He was showing me, uh, he had a UFC going, and I had just come down from Seattle. I forget who Barnett was fighting, but, you know, I had been in the gym with, with Josh and, and Randy. And, you know, Herb said something like, oh, no way Barnett wins this fight. And I was like, I'll take that action. <laughs> and then it was like, I hadn't seen him in, in forever until that loosen card. You know, and I saw him, I was like, hey, yeah, it was nice. I took that 20 off you in the Barnett fight. <laughs> 
said it once and it kind of sunk in with me is that uh, how accessible the stars are of the sport yeah uh, it's just unbelievable absolutely i mean yeah. especially for a guy like you i mean you're in the cage with half of them <laughs> but uh, i could just pick yeah. up the phone and, and get connected to most of them um yes yeah. you know well it's, it's, no it's one also one of those things where like if you're if you're fairly plugged in there's really no one, if you talk the entire globe, there's no one that's more than three to four degrees away. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, if you if you needed to get in touch with, like, freaking Jody Singh or one of these, you know, Super Fight League guys, like, you know who you could call that would have a connection with like whether it's like KSW in Poland or, or you know who, like you could within three phone calls get to that person right and you couldn't do that in, in pretty much any other and that's not even like oh I just follow someone on Twitter or I just whatever like, like you can get people and I, you know I get it I get it all the time I think controversial stuff happens as a trainer for the ABC you know I'm one of like six nerds in the entire country that can quote the unified rules like a pastor does scripture. <laughs> so when things, you know, awesome. when things happen, it's like all of a sudden, you know, here's some, you know, high level coach or, or, or whatever, and it's like, you know, hey, this happened to me the other day, and they told me to talk to you. Do I have a ground to stand on, or you know, file a grievance, or you know, do whatever? And so I mean, that's one of the things that's very cool. And you really experience that if you ever get the chance to go international. Because yeah. last time I did uh, UFC Brazil, um, you know, the whole card goes, you know, everything's cool. You're on the plane um, to go from uh, going to Sao Paulo, and, and it's like, as we're flying, it's supposed to be like an hour and 10 minute flight. And they have the um, little thing on, on the back of the seat on the TV screen so you can see where the plane is supposed to be going and where it's really going. <laughs> and you see the little dotted line where it's supposed to be going. And then the, the line looks like, you know, animal from the Muppets, just a crayon. And, and you know, all of a sudden, I, I just hear King Mo start screaming, you know, and that caused him to look at it, and then guy comes over in Portuguese, they don't understand it, and then he comes over in English, and he's like, uh, in the Sao Paulo, uh, the weather's been really bad, and we don't have the gas in the plane, oh, no. so we gotta go get the gas in the plane, you know, as an American, you're like, like, seriously, you didn't fill the friggin' tank? Like, <laughs> oh my God. I still don't know where we landed. But we landed, and they put the gas in the plane, <laughs> and then we take off again. And oh then the guy's God. like, ah, oh, yeah, it's 
still the weather bad, 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 uh, and it's it's dangerous to land a plane. But we're gonna land a plane now, and it's like, and everyone's yelling, and you know, some guys, you know, don't don't find it as funny as. I mean, I'm kind of one of those guys. Hey, when when my card's pulled, it's pulled, and I have no say in the matter. So, I think it's funny as a you know dive bombing like a World War II plane, but. You know, there were some individuals who, who didn't find it funny on the plane. And, um, well, I'm sure we land. So we land, and we don't know what frigging time zone you're in <laughs> by that point. So we get off the plane, and we're trying to run. And it's funny, because this is what unites everybody. Because you have teams that just fought against each other the night before. You have coaches that, you know, got thrown out of, you know, other gyms or left other gyms. You know, all these people that supposedly have all beef with each other. But when you're all trying to get the one plane out of Brazil to Atlanta, like, you're all on the same team. <laughs> and so we show up and we get to the top of the ramp. And I have one of the Brazilian, uh, Arizona cut guys or something. So he's translating for me, and the guy basically tells us at the top of the ramp, like, um, you know, you, you missed the connecting flight. And we're like, it's not for 45 minutes. And then he's like, no, I'm sorry, you missed it. So everyone else runs off, and then we stay. And we're like, you know what? Everyone else is going to run off. You book us on the next thing. And we're like, oh, we can put you tomorrow. And no, it's not happening. And so the guy somehow puts us on this new flight. I still think they just delayed the flight by an hour. But, um, so he gets us on this, so like, all right, he's like, but it's moving quick, you gotta run. So we're all running through the airport and we get out right by the ticket gate and it was hysterical because I saw all the American top team guys out of Florida, um, you know, all Brazilians that spoke Portuguese. Never before have I seen there were individuals um, on the other side of the kiosk, and they had individuals from the airline. <laughs> and all I'll say is they were uh, explaining to them in a very serious manner <laughs> hmm. that that they needed to get on this flight. <laughs> 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 and so you look at the U.S. and the TSA and, you know, all these mall cops that are going to say, you know, and, and <laughs> okay, you know. And so we all end up getting on the plane and, you know, everybody's laughing and, you know, it was just hysterical because it's like all of a sudden everyone has this common goal. It's not like, oh, who's from where, who's from this? It's like, we got to get out of here. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, uh, after you know, the fight and they shake hands. Stuff I love about this. <laughs> Which, you know, you don't see a lot of uh, refusal to shake hands after the fight. Most of the time it's before the fight, right? Right. <laughs> once right. everything's done, I mean, even people who hate each other, they shake each other's hands usually. Or, well, that's what's fun about problem. the international stuff. Because, you know, I've never been into any of the fights in Vegas. But you used to hear everybody had their different separate after party in Vegas. And, you know, go to this, go to that. When, when you're international, it's pretty cool because, you know, there, there's, it's not really a safe location to, hey, let's go out to the bars. Yeah, so, <laughs> especially in Brazil. So, yeah, well, I mean, I'm not saying nothing about any countries. You know, I, mean, <laughs> I appreciate any country that has them. 
but um, you have uh, in those kind of places you'll have the hotel bar will basically not let anybody else in because a lot of American folks don't realize when you're doing a show in the world the you know it's on Fox at the regular time it's like two or three hours later Brazilian time right so you don't even start the undercard until like 10 p.m. U.S. or, or, or 10 p.m. Brazilian time, which is, you know, 7 or 8 p.m., depending on where you're at um, down there. So you're not even getting out until, you know, 3 o'clock in the morning. So you get back to the hotel at, you know, 3, 3.30 in the morning Brazilian time, and they're able to say to the hotel, like, hey, have, you know, keep the restaurant open for these guys and, you know, keep the poolside bar open. So since nobody else can come in and the sun is coming up, <laughs> it, it, it's like, you know, there's just this sort of camaraderie because now you have, you know, the camera guys, the announcing production crew, you know, the corners, you know, potentially some fighters, the judges, the referees, the, you know, local people, you know, so it's just a very different dynamic because it's like everyone's kind of stuck here. Everyone wants to have a couple, you know, a couple of beers, go to bed, catch a shuttle. Right. So it, it's just a very cool vibe because it's not like, okay, the event's over, everybody scatters. Yeah. Very cool. Providing you didn't have a controversial stoppage, because if that's the case, you know, <laughs> you don't go your room. Well, speaking of the rules, you mentioned that a little bit earlier, uh, knowing the unified rules. Is there any that you want to see changed? Any changes recently that were made that you like or dislike, or anything like that? Well, um, I was I was very fortunate to get put on uh, when Mike Zulin became president of uh, the ABC this last convention down in San Diego. Um, he took a totally different approach. And what he did was he put, um, he assembled a new rules and regs committee. And on that committee is, uh, Dave Watson, uh, out of, uh, he's, um, Georgia commissioner. There's also the Vegas doctor. Um, myself, Rob Hines, an OF trainer, uh, John McCarthy, Jeremy Horn, uh, Matt Hughes, Brian Dunn, he's the commissioner in Nebraska, but he's also got like 85 NHB fights under his belt. Uh, Sean Willock used to be a Bellator commentator, and now he's a Kansas commissioner. Yeah, uh, we had Randy him on the show. Before. Great guest. Okay. We had him on the show. He was a great guest. We lock. Great oh, guest. Oh, yeah. Sean's great. So knowledgeable. Um, so, you know, they, they put this group together, and, and it's great, because in the first, you know, five or six conference calls, like, we all... You know, we're the people that live it. So historically, you've had, you know, people that are commissioners that got everything up and running and got us to where we are. But now you need to have people that are, that are in it right. to, to scrap the bad stuff, make the good stuff better. Um, one of the things that just came out to the media recently was uh, how we are... Uh, put forward to the medical board, um, but we all voted unanimously to uh, update the weight class. And the weight class is the way we're updating them is basically now from 115 pounds up to 205 pounds. 
it's every 10 pounds. So dump the 170, add a 165, a 75, add a 95, and then when you get to the 205, we added a 225. Mm -hmm. So that's going to be a cruiser weight between 205 and 225 for the guys that are too small for heavyweight, but will never make 205. Right. Um, Good idea. Other things that, you know, we've already, you know, worked on, you know, changing. We've got to put our whole proposal together. You know, things like heel kicks to the kidney from guard, 12 to 6 elbows, um, grabbing the clavicle. Um, we're talking uh, we're talking about ways to clean up the downed opponent hole um, to where you actually have to be down. Now, we know that we can't go to Japan rules and allow soccer cakes like that would never, you know, pass muster. But it's also not very fair to have someone, if they'd only get kneed in the face, just be able to put a fingertip on the ground. I thought they had Currently already changed that, that, but I, I have noticed they haven't been enforcing it if they had changed it. Is that only in certain places with the hand-down thing? No, what, what happens is it all comes down to the referee is so arbitrary about and has full jurisdiction. So when you're in the back talking to guys, usually what happens is we say, hey, look, if you start, you know, popping your hand down and up, down and up, down and up, like, that's not going to fly. So if you're down and your hand is down or your finger is down or whatever, that's okay. If he throws a strike, like if you're down and he throws a knee in your head, assuming that you're going to stand up and you don't, it's on the striker. But if he throws a shot while you're crouched down with only your feet on the ground, if he goes to throw that knee to your face and then you put your hand down while the knee's coming, too bad. Like, right. that was a legal target when they threw it. Ah, okay. So, that's one of the things that, you know, we've got, we've got a wording that, you know, hopefully will get cleaned up, which hopefully will be coming out within the next, uh, you know, month or two. Uh, another one is, uh, we're just now probably going to start releasing, um, with the iPhones. And we saw all kinds of drama with that this weekend in Boston. Um, the eye poke is illegal, but there is no foul against reaching out with your fingers extended and pawing. So I can't tell you as a fighter, like, oh, close your fingers, or what, because there's no foul other than the poke. Right. So one of the things that, uh, you know, John McCarthy had some great weddings on that we're ironing down, we're ironing out now, um, but it's one of those if you move forward in an offensive manner and your hand is not closed, your fingers have to be pointed to the ceiling. Mm -hmm. So that way at least, you know, and, and we're going to be, you know, clean up clear. But that way at least when we vote on it, it's one of those, hey, if you want to, if you want to paw with your palm, that's okay. But if you go going forward in an aggressive manner, if your hand has to be in a fist. Mm -hmm. And I think those kind of things, you know, clear things up. Because when you meet a guy in the back and you're like, hey, you can do this, but you can't do this. They're like, all right, cool. Right. And every time we're able to, to clear things up, it makes it much easier to follow. Like, I have a picture of what's legal at the back of the head. Right. So when I go back and I see a fighter before the bout, 
and especially having a picture, if I was going to begin in English, I can show them the picture. <laughs> and I hear it, just so you know, this is acceptable, and this is not. So long as you stay above the ears and off the center line, right. you can blast away to the back of his head. Mm-hmm. So long as you're off the center line and above the ears. Once you go below the ears, that's when you get in the foul area. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have any problem with whatsoever, stay above the ears, don't come straight down in the middle, and blast away. <laughs> and I find with me that a whole lot of that stuff and those problems go away. Yeah. Because you're saying, hey, man, this is cool. And you're also saying to them, like, hey, you may feel like you're getting hit in the back of the head, which if you just took a general definition of back and front, yes, you are. But according to the definition, now that you've seen it and we've explained it, you know where you can strike and where you can't. Wow. That's incredible stuff. I mean, I feel like I'm on a... Uh, I'm doing a documentary on behind the scenes in the UFC. <laughs> uh, it, it, good you stuff. know, there, there's lots of... There's lots of things coming down the pike and, and we're... Uh, you know, if any of the listeners or, or any of those have anything they want to say, like, it's, um, you know, you, you just uh, listen to uh, Sean Yard and Big John's podcast, which is uh, let's get it on podcast.com. Yep. Um, or if, if anyone has any rules that they are interested in potentially being looked at or, or anything that they shoot me an email, kevinmarath at gmail.com. Um, we're completely a transparent um, organization as far as the Rules and Rights Committee. Like, we want to be able to, at this next conference, take everything and, and just make a giant step forward to cleaning up the Rules and Rights of MMA. Right. And if there's anything that, you know, we haven't heard or we haven't, you know, looked at or wording or is anything out there that people want to like if someone sends me an email saying, Hey, I think they should it will absolutely be discussed on the next uh uh conference call. So I mean I think in the next, you know, hopefully this convention you're gonna see some big overhauls to the system. And hopefully the convention after that, you know, you'll see I like to think of this committee as being kind of the no-brainers. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And then the next one, you know, bring it to the next level. All right. Now, what's it been like for you working for the big deal organization, the UFC, and especially, um, you know, just having that experience over the weekend of, of being in your backyard working for them? Well, I mean, it, it, I'm, I'm honored any time I get called for something like this. You know, I don't work it on a regular basis. Um, being in New England, it's nice because within two hours, I have, you know, five to six states, you know, and tribals that I can get to. Um, the only time I've traveled outside of the Northeast, um, you know, for UFC was for, uh, you know, a couple of times for Brazil, which, which was awesome. I never thought I'd ever get the chance to go to Brazil that long. Um, you know, among some of the other uh, organizations, I was... I was fortunate enough to do the uh, the first and only so far pay per view for Bellator down in Missouri, um, but I uh, you know I don't travel so much that it becomes you know a strain on you know my home life. I mean I may travel 
five to seven times a year for MMA. Other than that, you know, I'm doing my thing here in New England or, you know, occasionally shooting out to teach, you know, referee and judge courses for different states. But, um, and that's one of the things that I really like because when you're not, like, if one, if an organization calls and says, hey, can you officiate this? Like, you're working for them for a weekend. You're not committed to, so it's almost like you, you get totally immersed in that time and then you're done. And even when they call, like, like if the UFC asks, you know, hey, can you go down to Brazil? Like, okay. But when you get to Brazil, the cabin the mayor, which is the Brazilian commission, like, they meet you right when you get to the hotel. And it's like, hey, you're with us. So at no point are you ever, like, quote, working for the promotion. Like, even when you get down there, the commission is like, hey, the promotion said you're good. So we had them contact you. Right. But now you're working for us, and, and, and this is how we want to do things. And this is a, So it's nice because there, there's always kind of a buffer zone. There, there's never any, you know, like, anything sort of sketchy. Like, you don't think that, like, when, when I work here in Massachusetts, you know, I'm working for the Massachusetts State Athletic Commission, even though it is a UFC show. Right. Mass called me, Mass, you know, when I go to another state, it's that state, even though it's still the same show. It's like, and that's something that I really like mm -hmm. because wherever you go, you're kind of, I prefer rather than to be the guy in charge, I like to be the employee. Yeah. <laughs> so when you, when you show up, you know, people can face or whatever, but it's like, no, this guy here, he's my boss this weekend. Right. And I really like that. Cool. And do you find that as a former fighter, it helps you tremendously with the, with the refereeing part of it, uh, being actually in the cage and having a number one, separate the fighters, but number two, be able to understand the situation. I don't know because I know some guys that are former fighters that have tried to be referees and it's been an epic failure. I know other guys that have tried to where, you know, it's gone well. I think my biggest benefit is I came from, you know, back when you could still stomp the head and all that kind of stuff. So with me going from the earliest referee rules I had, which was, you know, hey, no biting don't let them die, and if they have <laughs> stop it. Yeah. That then every time rules were added, like I had a giant learning curve. Right. And if you decided you want to be a referee right now, you go, you take a class, you pay your money and apply to the commission. They put you on the shadow a couple of times, and then you jump in there. And if in your first, you know, five or six fights. If you have two brain parts or screw-ups, all of a sudden everybody in that state is like, oh, forget that dude. Like, that dude's dangerous. I don't want to deal with... So with me, I, I have the benefit of, hey, we were still in warehouses when I first started refereeing and, you know, 
one little little disfigurement, you know, it was cool. And then as we move forward, it's like, okay, all of a sudden, like, okay, we allow elbows, but we don't allow the 12-6 elbow. All right, you know, now we're, we're not going to allow scarves, but you're going to be able to. And at those points, when it was unsanctioned, any guys been doing this a long time will tell you, back in, you know, early 2000s, you would show up to a card, and there might be four or five different sets of rules on every single card. Oh you have these amateurs that were like, hey, you know, you can't kick me in the face, but you can do this or you can do that. Then you'd have the slap fights. Then you'd have the ones where it's like, hey, you know what? We can punch to the face, but we're not going to allow elbows. And then you'd have the fight that allowed elbows. So you just throw them with all the. So then, when you, you know, when you get to go through that kind of stuff, where it's like, okay, you know, and also, when you come up refereeing in a ring, I always refer to the ring as like the standard, sh like the stick shift car. <laughs> like, you should learn how to drive on a stick shift. Right. And if you want to get an automatic cool, but anyone that drives a stick, or if you drive a stick, you know, driving a stick shift, you have to work your craft. You have to know how to work the clutch. You have to know how to downshift the slow speed. You have to know all those kind of things. Is it more work? Yes, it is. But it makes you a better driver. Right. Just like refereeing an MMA fight inside a boxing ring makes you a better referee because you have to be aware of, okay, what position are in? What's he going for? Right when he goes for that, they're going to blast out of the ring. So I either need to stop them now or I need to wait for them to do that. I need to move this rope with my bottom leg. I need to, you know, if they fall out, I need to make sure they're okay. I need, and then when you get in a cage, it's kind of like, hey, screw this. You know, I'm over here. You know, <laughs> if, if there's a foul, I need to stop it. I'll come in. But other than that, do your thing. Yeah, it's so, kind of crazy. You know, coming up through the ring, coming up with multiple rule sets, coming up with all that. I remember, uh, I think it was reality fighting back in uh, at Memorial Hall. They had like a six-sided octagon ring. It was like, oh, yeah, and it had like six like ropes. Six ropes, and, yeah, that's you know, what it, it was. was. about the worst possible thing you could have for viewing, but <laughs> it was... <laughs> Those guys to fight, though, because yeah. they didn't really have a corner to, to back into, you know, with any protection. No, no, it was, yeah, I mean, there was, it was that. I mean, I always preferred not having the fifth rope. Yeah. And people say, oh, that's crazy. And I'm like, first up, let's not act like the bottom rope is preventing anyone from falling out. <laughs> but the problem with the bottom rope was if you only had four ropes, like if you got a dude in mount and you start getting closer to the edge, I could take my calf and I could push that rope away and tell you to turn it back in. When you were that fifth rope, like three or four inches off the bottom, right. That dude would just immediately like put his head on the other side of the rope, mm -hmm. and then you know if he was striking and he stuck his head outside, it's like oh, that's no problem fighting service. You know, referee get involved. It's, you know. Yeah, it's interesting, but uh, it's kind of grown mostly to cages in recent years, <coughs> especially yeah, after the USC bought everybody out <laughs> <laughs> that used to ring. <laughs> But uh, where can people find you online before we let you go? It's been a while here. I would love talking to you. Oh, absolutely. Another hour. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, either refereesolutions.com or kevinthereft.com. Uh, they both go to the same site. 
that list to see the one getting the judging or refereeing. Uh, I'm the only guy in the Northeast that, uh, you know, offers a program. I try to do it about once every, you know, year, year and a half, just because I don't want to flood the market. I don't like to take people's money if there's not opportunity to work. Right. Um, but they can find me on there. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not a big Twitter guy, but I'm usually all over Facebook and, uh, I'm definitely extremely conservative for Massachusetts, so <laughs> if you don't like being offended by, you know, political things, then oh, don't boy. follow me on Facebook, just stick to the website. But <laughs> Hey, Donald, Donald Trump is a big fight guy, so you got to support him, right? <laughs> exactly, you know, so is Putin, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I don't know if you should support him, but yeah. <laughs> Uh, he was just in the news today for uh, being connected to that guy's killing. He, he, the guy we keep, they killed with polonium. I was like, wow. Ruthless, ruthless. <laughs> anyway, um, and what do you love most about this boy? We always like to ask everybody that. I can't let you go without answering that. <clears throat> you know, what I, what I love most about this sport is, is just, is just the, the whole potential for chaos (laughs) and I know it's not a politically correct thing to say but it's one of these what I love about this sport is I love walking into a venue whether it's a a big show or a very small show or whatever I love walking in and seeing someone who the, the, the bellows have inflated the hype of this person and they sold all the tickets and they've done all this, and then, you know, whoever it is has hired somebody to come in and fight that person who they are sure that, hey, this is a, quote, legitimate fight, but this person will not win. And then when you see that guy who's only got his one corner with him from somewhere very far away, (laughs) and then they get the win, the submission, the knockout, whatever the case may be, and to just see, you know, that that bus heading straight down the road that just happened, take a right, because this guy just derailed the whole system. Hmm. And that's one of the things that I love so much about MMA. Yeah, because it's one of the favorite you fights. Can think, you can think everything is scripted, but all it takes is one guy to say, no, I'm going to win this. And one of the first times I ever saw that, and it's one of you asked me before about my favorite times in MMA, we were doing a show at Club Lido, and it was uh, when Joey Lazonga called up to fight Jens Calder. And we stopped the show um, in the middle of the fights, and, you know, Bruce Marshall had, like, you know, taken a whole bunch of tinfoil and coat hangers or whatever and been able to steal the signal to come into Club, Club Lido for the pay-per-view. And we all watched, and it was one of these things where everyone was kind of like, oh, we really want Joe to win, but Jens is really good. And that, so it starts, and all of a sudden, Joe takes Jens down. And, I mean, I had month earlier, two months earlier, I had done an eight-man tournament in the same building where in less than three minutes, Joey was on beat all three guys in the eight-man. And to see, you know, one of our guys go. And once he took him down, everyone went crazy. (laughs) And then they stand back up, and then to see this kid 
one of ours knock out the guy who was supposed to knock him out was exactly what I love about MMA. Yeah. Well, for me, one of my favorite fights was actually one that you don't hear anything about, but there was a lot of UFC veterans on it. It was a company called Coliseum Carnage. I don't think they exist anymore. Or, no, they don't. Uh, extreme Cage Fighting was called, uh, but the event was called Coliseum Carnage. It was in Iowa. And, oh, okay, Money Cox, yeah. Yeah, he was involved with a lot of the fighters. But um, Josh Neer was on the card, John Halverson, yeah. uh, a couple other guys. But Tommy Ahrens was this unknown kid from middle of Iowa. He gets in there against one of these UFC vets, and... It ends up after every round, at the end of every round, this kid is kicking the guy's ass, but he just keeps getting caught in submission attempts at the end of the round. So sure enough, third round comes, and the announcer at the time was a guy who does a wrestling broadcast. You've probably heard of him. Uh, I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, but anyway. Point is, uh, he's counting down the last 10 seconds over the microphone so the whole crowd can hear it and the fighters can oh, hear I it. I love that stuff, yeah. And it comes down to one second, and it was, uh, I think, uh, a triangle choke Tommy was in. And, you know, granted, he's winning the fight up to this point, but it comes down to one second, and the kid passes out at one. So the ref had to stop the, the fight right there, even though everybody knows there's only one second left. <laughs> oh, and it was just... That is exactly what makes this great it was uh, it was a card that was uh um commentated by pat militich they did all kinds of video production for it uh and it turned out to be like one of the last events that the owner did before he sold the company because nobody showed up you know but they had all this production and people involved that should have made it a great event there were awesome fights every single fight was great and then that yeah. one was thrown in the middle of it. I mean, just talk about the camaraderie. Being in the hotel room with all those guys <laughs> after the fact, chatting about all those fights, and that one in particular was great. I mean, it's, oh, I've never seen a kid lose a fight and get so much accolades from all the other fighters for just hanging in there and trying, you know, and doing such a good job before the, the inevitable happened there. But You know, and that's why we need to document this stuff, because so many people we talk to around the country, you know, they experience stuff like that, and it's like so great when you're there, and someone will be like, "Oh yeah, you," and then someone's like, "I was there at that show," and I was there, and, you know, that's yeah. I'll have to send you the video of the uh, the Pudjanowski fight too that I took. <laughs> They told us yeah. not to take any video, but I cheated a little. They haven't uh, filed a copyright complaint against me, though. <laughs> All right, I got some of it from Polish TV off YouTube. Yeah. All good. All right. Well, it's been great chatting with you. We'll uh, we'll shoot a link over to you when uh, when the show is uh, up and posted, and we'll blast it out. And uh, I think this is uh, obviously one of the best shows of the year so far. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Cool. It's show number two. Thanks. All right. <laughs> uh, have a great one, brother. No, really. Anytime you uh, We've had a lot of referees on, and and uh, you're one of the best so far. All right. Thanks a lot, brother. Appreciate it. Stuff. Thanks a lot. So sorry, Tom, you didn't get to ask anything, but uh, <laughs> what well, a great I said, guess. Well, I was just enjoying just the, the nostalgia. Yeah. You know, awesome. it, it, it was like, uh, <clears throat> I remember one time we were fighting in a barn down in West Virginia. A barn! Yeah. Well, I, I wasn't even really on the show talking about, uh, talking about talking about that. I mean, it was just, uh, just a whole different world. 
And uh, it's just kind of sad that a lot of these young guys have no appreciation of what it was like um, when we had those blackout years, like when McCain got it kicked off uh, cable back in early 97. And that's referred to as the, uh, like, uh, the Dark Ages. And then we didn't get back on cable until 2001, and then it was, I think I drove to Indiana once, someone had a, a satellite dish, and that was the nearest one I knew to do. Uh, just uh, so many memories. I mean, I just so fascinating. And, and boy, he's well traveled. Yeah. I mean, out there in Huntington Beach and and, uh, and the bizarre stories. I mean, this was just worth the price of admission. I didn't need to say a word. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean this was. This dude, was I, I barely had to ask any questions. I love that. You know, it's uh, it's always good. When, yeah. When a guy rambles on, but uh, is intriguing at the same time. You know, it's a very nice, yeah. very. Uh, very knowledgeable guy, and uh, just to, to have that same history too, the, 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 all the commonalities. Oh yeah, that, yeah, that's just that's, that's just cool. priceless. I mean, uh, if I would would have talked to him, I would have asked him if he remembered Bad Breed TV. They had a series of uh, DVDs that came out back then. I don't know if they're still around. I have about five of them, and it was just uh, this one announcer in the Midwest, kind of a happy uh, something, or they could. Big pie. I can't even think of what he, he had a nickname, but and, and he and he died. He was found dead at a rest stop uh-uh. going to a show. It's kind of a strange situation with him, but uh, yeah, he, uh, it, it was a bunch of them. just went around with cameras to a lot of the small shows and and it was, you know got a lot of the back back stuff. And, and again, it's like Kevin was saying, you go into a living room and there's like eight or ten guys in there, and I mean, boy, those days are gone. Yeah. Which I guess is inevitable. Outside of the Ultimate uh, Fighter House, of course. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, you know, when, when money comes into the equation, everything changes around. Yeah, I was kind of cool to hear what, him talk about you know the difference you know, between uh, you know working for the UFC and you know being a, a, a employee of the Athletic Commission instead. You know. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was good stuff. And you know to to. Um, interview a guy that has gotten to that point that I saw on the local level too and that uh, was such a big part of uh, the Massachusetts uh, scene at the time it was pretty pretty cool for me because you know, I guess usually I only get to talk about you know the intercollegiate boxing on the show with with Tony as far as you know somebody had been in the same room <laughs> as me <laughs> during that time yeah. yeah that's that's very cool to know he was at so many of the same events and you know now he's up at the UFC level doing so well with that and uh, getting such good gigs there but uh, we will definitely uh, keep in touch with him and uh, I think actually I think that would make a pretty decent magazine article just if, you know if I transcribed that interview and did something with it but, uh, it was a great interview yeah cause I, I, I just think it's important to get that old school stuff out you know, a lot of people just have the old appreciation of history but you know the sport's only just a little over 20 years old and right. it seems like forever going back and just listen to those descriptions like when McCarthy in those early ones see they, they would instruct the cornermen to have towels ready to throw in because the referee really didn't jump in as quick then right it was just kind of nuts and you'd see well, and McCarthy would be yelling at the corner watch your fighter yeah. watch your fighter <laughs> you didn't hear that anymore I can remember that's, when it, that's when Elite XC came out and they said, "All right, we're gonna we're gonna have the fighters stand up after ten seconds on the ground or something if there's no action," and that was like a company policy rather than a rule change. 
<laughs> yeah, I never knew one that quick. Uh, but uh, in those early days, they didn't didn't have any stand up rule. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I, I mean, but it, was, it was just such a different culture because they they made sure that each corner that there was one guy in each corner that had to have a towel. And you would see that, you just never see that now. That's that's unheard of now. Right. What a sea what a sea change. Pretty good stuff. Well, that was good. That was, that was uh, a, a great first guest for the year, for sure. Yes, it was. And um, <laughs> it's kind of a joke. Yeah, I, you know, I, I didn't know Tony's uh, dog had died. Oh, you didn't I have no idea, he, huh? I just thought he You're was sick. So I'm going to have to send him some condolences on that one. I didn't know it was his dog because he said he was going to be on antidepressants. I said, geez, what's the matter with him? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it took him, took him for a loop. Of course, you know, he's got so much... To remind him of that, uh, you know, best friend of his all over the place. I mean, and he's on Facebook all the time. And he actually, as like therapy, put out a bunch of pictures and videos uh, for a whole day. Uh, so he's kind of having an Irish wake for the pup. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I can relate, too, because I told him I lost my cat Gizmo the day before New Year's Eve. And for an animal that just sits there all day long, you know, I was really surprised how hard that hit me, you know, lose, losing a cat. <laughs> oh, yeah. 15 years old, though. You know, and I've been around his life for, for 14 of them, at least. Yeah. Uh, and it was an abused cat that uh, my ex-girlfriend ended up dropping on me when we broke up. So <laughs> I never wanted the thing in the first place, but he kind of took to me. Uh, so it was kind of like, oh, man, it was tough watching him go. But, uh, you know, it's life. You live and you die. And uh, sometimes animals are, are actually harder than humans is what I wrote to Tony. Because, you know, number one, their love is unconditional. They don't talk back. Number two. Unless they're barking, maybe or meowing, but uh, and and they don't uh, they don't really leave your side when when you're around if you know, if you had a good relationship with them. Whereas people, I mean, they do their own thing. They're always in and out. They make their own choices. Dogs can't go out without you most of the time, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's an unconditional love. Yeah, man's old man's oldest friend exactly. in the animal kingdom. Exactly. Yeah, it was a great dog. I, for years, I thought it was a German Shepherd. He's <laughs> a golden retriever <laughs> that Tony used to have him on the show every now and then barking in the background. And For some reason, I thought he was a German Shepherd. And Tony used to put all the pictures up when Facebook came around. And, oh, yeah, he's a, he's a golden. And they're smart dogs. He did a lot of smart stuff. He's, he's a big ball dog, stick dog, all that kind of stuff. Just a cool all-around character and uh, probably the most famous dog on Facebook <laughs> at this point. <laughs> Uh, yeah, oh, Davini, and uh, of course he's named after one of Tony's favorite fighters, Mr. Paz, who we've had on the show. Yeah. So I guess if we didn't have uh, Kevin all lined up, we we should have played the Vinny Paz interview. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, Tony will be back next week, and uh, I'm sure he'll be in better spirits. And we'll we'll be thinking about him and uh, praying for Vinny's soul, of course. A good dog. Well, so I guess the only thing we have this weekend, I know there's a UFC embedded uh, Saturday afternoon, and then I guess we've got Guerrero and Garcia Saturday night, and that'll be about it. Yep. But there'll be lots to talk about after that, so. All right, sir, I guess uh, next time we'll do it again. Yes, we will. 
every week. All right, bro. Okay. <laughs> All right, see you. Next time. Bye. All right, thanks for stopping by, folks. That's all for this episode. Until next week, thank you for tuning in, and thanks to Kevin McDonald for a great interview and uh, you know, very knowledgeable stuff, very uh, detailed and uh, intriguing, entertaining interview, and uh, actually def definitely the best referee I think we've ever had on the show, and that uh, counts. Uh, I think Steve Smoger was good, but that was better, and uh, also uh, Richard Steele we've had on a couple of times. I think he was better than him, too. Uh, hopefully we don't get some hate mail from those guys <laughs> for saying that. Good stuff all around. Thanks, thanks for tuning in. Bye.